You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javano Kelly live from Seattle, Washington, USA. Greetings, greetings, greetings beautiful people. My name is Simon Javan Okelo. I am in Seattle, Washington and I am excited to be here with you for another incredible session of the African Father in America podcast. We are going to discuss an amazing proverb. Our proverb today is from Sierra Leone. I am going to put it on the screen in a moment. Uh Today we don't have a guest for the show. Today I am going to be your guest. So uh we are going to learn one new African proverb and then we are going to uh learn three different nuggets of wisdom related to this amazing African proverb. So if you are joining me on TikTok, make sure you follow me over there. I am going live on TikTok after a long time. So I'm excited to connect with you all there. And if you are joining me on YouTube, uh, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, also make sure you're following me on those platforms because I would love to stay connected with you. I would love to stay connected with you. So I am going to add, um, especially for those who are on YouTube, and uh, you know those who are on YouTube and LinkedIn. I think my guest is here. So. Just forgive me as I figure out how to engage my guest for the show. So, give me one moment. Let me bring them on. Hi Caroline, can you hear me? Caroline, are you there? Okay, give me one moment. Give me one moment. I hope everything is okay with you. I am going to bring you on in just one second here. Thank you for making the time. Uh And thank you to my audience members who are already here who are patiently waiting. Uh I deeply appreciate your support and your patience. I'm going to bring Caroline on the screen. Caroline, how are you doing? I am okay. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Sorry for uh the miscommunication. I wasn't sure how to get hold of you, but I'm happy that you made it, you know? Um yeah, I at one point I was not sure whether the date was still 9th October or 5th October. So I just decided yeah. to ask today. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well, here we are now so we can continue, you know. Um luckily we haven't gone too far into the show, so we can basically start with the proverb for the day which I am going to share on the screen here uh for you and also for everyone who is joining us for the show. We we are just going to start with this uh African proverb and once we talk about the proverb for the day, we are going to share three nuggets of wisdom related to this proverb. I love this proverb. It says that a twisted hand cannot grip well. A twisted hand cannot grip well. 
So if you're joining us on YouTube, make sure you share in the comments what this proverb means to you. Uh, if you're joining us on TikTok and other platforms also, make sure you share with us what this proverb means to you. Uh, Caroline, I am going to just speak about three nuggets of wisdom and then give you space so that you can also talk about this proverb yourself. Uh, this proverb is from Sierra Leone. So uh, the three nuggets of wisdom related to this proverb uh, are as follows. Number one, honesty is the foundation of trust. Honesty is the foundation of trust. So uh, the proverb is reminding us about the values of honesty and as uh, a way for us to build trust no matter what relationship we are in, no matter what project we are doing, if you're honest with yourself, if you know that you are so conflicted, you should not even be involved with something uh, that puts you in such a situation. Uh, so uh, that's just, it's a reminder. This proverb reminds us that no matter what, try and be honest because that's the primary foundation for building trust, no matter what circumstance it is. Number two, people can spot a fake from a mile away so if you're faking it uh, if you have so much going on uh, you know and you're trying to take on more than you can chew uh, people are going to know it you know because you're not going to be giving your yourself 100% to whatever is expected of you so that's one other thing that this proverb is teaching us and then finally uh, your reputation is your most valuable asset you know this proverb is teaching us that we should protect our reputations at any at any cost, you know, uh, and that's because it's our biggest asset. You know, you you are the product. A lot of the time in this era of social media, uh, many people actually do very well by building their personal brands, and some are living just by building a personal brand and talking about specific topics, starting podcasts, starting platforms that literally change other people's lives but it is just out of the reputation that they've built over time you know so it's really really important that you think about those three nuggets uh i want to invite my guest to talk about her own perspective on today's proverb um caroline when you think about this proverb from sierra leone uh, what is it that comes to your mind um i got the three nuggets i don't think i caught the proverb so um ah. could you just take me back to the proverb of course of course of course I'll, I'll share the proverb with you it says that a twisted hand cannot grip well when your hands are ah. twisted you cannot grip well this proverb is from sierra leone and uh i don't know if you can see my screen but i'm going to put it on the screen for the sake of those who are joining us uh on youtube and linkedin and facebook uh and x the screen shows an, a beautiful image that depicts this proverb from Sierra Leone very beautifully. So, Caroline, go ahead and speak to this for a moment. Um, I think to speak to this, I'll go back to the tips that you call them the nuggets, the three nuggets. And um, it's just about having so much going on and... Um, not focusing on something for starters but also not being honest with first yourself and everyone else that you would have to that you probably deal with and um 
coming from a more journalistic background myself and um, um, I believe it's that if you if you're not coming from truth if it's not honest if it's not clean if it's not uh, clear chances are high it's ruined right from the start so um the nuggets the three the three hot tips uh sort of make up the wider conversation of um be truthful be clear about what you want be honest and um start from a clean point yeah I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for those words of wisdom. For those who are joining us for the first time, this is the African Father in America podcast. I am in Seattle, Washington, and we do this Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 p.m. East African Time. Uh, I think that's 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So those who are in the East Coast of the U.S. And it's around afternoon, you know, 3, 2 p.m., uh, London and European time. So my guest is Caroline Ariba, who is an author, but she's also a journalist, a researcher, and a media consultant, a graduate of Makerere University, and also a former global scholar at the Queen Mary University of London. Uh, it's really a privilege to have you here, Caroline, uh, especially to touch on the work that you did as one of the authors featured in Remembering the Future. This is an amazing book that if you are listening to the show now or later on, I would love for you to take a minute and go and grab a copy online. You know, it's available on Amazon or Ibua Publishers in Uganda. So, Caroline, I want you to take us back. Before we start talking about remembering the future, I want you to just take us back to a period when you were maybe 8 to 12 years old and share with us a story that when you look at your accomplishments today, whether it's being an author on this uh, wonderful book or whether it's, um, you know, being a journalist and all the incredible accomplishments that you have, Share with us one story from your childhood that really drives who you are today. I love talking about my own story when I ask this question because when I was eight years old, growing up in Kisumu, Kenya, my mother gave me a bicycle and uh, asked me to help her distribute milk and bread in our neighborhood. So I was one of those little kids that uh, every day before school, I was riding a bike so fast in the neighborhood, I was kind of annoying to some people. But I always had milk. I always had milk and bread in the back of my bicycle, you know. So a lot of shopkeepers, a lot of owners of the kiosks in the in the slum, they all knew me because of the distribution work that I was doing, and that really informs the discipline that I have today. You know, my show, the African Father in America podcast, is uh, probably the only show here in the Pacific Northwest that happens at 6 a.m. in the morning because I want to catch the East African market. I want to touch the markets that I was talking about. But it takes discipline to do that. You know, I also produce Madaraka Festival, which is the biggest African festival in the U.S. now. But it just started from, from nothing, really. So I feel that this is an important question for me to ask my guests. And I wanted you to kind of share your own story uh, just before you do that, I just want to thank everyone joining me on TikTok. I went live there today for the very first time after a while. And uh, I also want to thank everyone joining us on YouTube and LinkedIn. Make sure 
you subscribe to the channel if you're on YouTube and also make sure you follow me if you're on TikTok so that when I go live again tomorrow and the days after we are all uh, connected. Hey Caroline, uh, I want to give you space now. <laughs> That's a very um your your story is almost deja vu for many an African child really because I grew up um in a homestead that reared chickens and we always had eggs so definitely my mom or my auntie no one else was going to sell those eggs except us so we knew all the neighborhood shops and we had figured out a way to beat the price for everyone else that was trying to sell eggs so whenever someone dropped the price we knew about it probably 30 minutes into it and every evening after school uh, you took off your uniform and took a tray of eggs to the neighboring shops. Um, and there was a payment. It was about 100 shillings, Ugandan, uh, 100 Ugandan shillings. I don't even know what that is in dollars. I don't even know if it's 10 cents. But it was worth it. And it was your reward. And I think since then, I do not take for for granted the little tasks that I would give a child, for example. I know to count every single shilling because I knew that we were making about 500 shillings from each tray of eggs. And every, I had, you had to make sure you did not drop one single egg because <laughs> that was the old woman's profit. Sorry, in Africa, we call our mothers old woman. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, when you talked about that, um, it took me back to a time when we used to sell eggs. It wasn't the hawking kind where you sold one, but it was just take a tray, deliver a tray, get the money and bring it back. And you had a hundred shillings for yourself. Um, but at eight, I was also playing. I am the youngest of my father's children. And believe me when I say I have played. I played so hard, I fell off buildings. I got knocked by bicycles playing. I think I would play with everyone else, but I also would play by myself. When my elder siblings went on to boarding school, I was still playing by myself. I think I played until almost, until I, I think I joined university. <laughs> I played so hard and that is, it's a joke. It's a running joke in my family about how hard I played. So at eight years old, I was playing. I was, um, I was a very tall child. So you'd see me playing from miles away. And the African games are very fulfilling. We were outdoors the whole time. And we played something called bladder. You would tie strings this side, another string that side, and then you jump. You know, when you pass this hoop, they would raise the hoop a bit higher. And so me and my long legs would just throw one leg over there and play. And, and then we had um, something called round game. It was like dodgeball, but you run round and then they threw a ball. If you dodged, you went into the next levels like that. It was, I played. That's what I was doing at eight years old, just playing. <laughs> I love that. I love that, uh, especially because a lot of us, uh, including myself, a lot of us Africans don't recognize the, the value of playing, you know. And just uh, a lot of us also, we don't share enough stories of enjoyment, you know, the, st the stories of 
how life was also sweet life was not just always difficult you know what i mean so i just love uh, that you shared that perspective with us i do want to just bring on something really uh, special on the screen just quickly as we continue our conversation to kind of give people an idea why you are the guest on the show today you know for those who can see my screen uh, we have the cover image of the book remembering the future and i have had the privilege and the honor of interviewing some of the most incredible writers authors and thinkers from uganda over the last uh, few weeks uh, and today i have carolyn ariba who is equally incredible and carolyn when uh, you think about being involved with such an amazing project uh, talk to us about why this was important for you to make sure that your name is behind it uh, i hope you have a copy of the book with you do you um so like i said today was a very confusing day for me okay okay okay. okay 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 um, i should have planned this better i'm still at work but instead of canceling this i thought let me just dive in and start from wherever i would start you did a great thing you did a great thing but do you remember even a paragraph or a line from the chapter of the book that you wrote that you can speak to in a moment oh yeah um okay, okay. i also have um i have bits of it uh, like little zaps of it that i posted on my twitter um, uh-huh. and out. Yeah. Perfect. So think about the excerpt from the chapter that you wrote that you want to share with us today. But for now, just speak to why this is important to you personally, but also why it's important that African stories are told in this way, you know, in, in a collective way, in a way that I can pick one book and hear perspectives from seven different uh, voices that are incredible are all incredible storytellers um for me first i'd met um the editor of the book mr chris conte a bit earlier when we were working on the um on another project called crossroads i think that brought again about 12 women and we did stories like this but for this one in particular it was um it was it just felt like it was time to tell the story about um, the receding village. For my experience with village, I had noticed over time was totally changing. I was um, I was sitting on um, on a border even yesterday. A border is uh, what do they call a motorcycle ta- taxi, and we were just talking about how loud the village is getting. So those are some of the conversations that kept coming up and chris wanted to tell that story but leaving it if we had just left it up to an american yes one who had lived in uganda though <laughs> it would have been um i don't know if we would have felt the truth the way a ugandan would have told it for example i am genuinely worried about the village the village is where you went to escape the village is where you went to you know, just forget it all. But now when you, when I get to the village, it feels like everyone is escaping from the village and the village is a shadow of itself. But then beyond just talking about that, I wanted to understand why 
this was happening. So in that chapter, I go on, I mean, in my chapter, I go on a journey into how the village was, whenever we visited the village, what that felt like and why it's changing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, thank you again. You know, a lot of us are so consumed by what's going on in our world. And I, I can't say that I'm not one of those people, you know. Uh, when I pick up my phone and I start looking at Twitter or YouTube or Instagram or threads or TikTok, I can't pay attention to my daughter who is right next to me asking me, Daddy, 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 did you see this, Daddy, you know? Um, and so what you're saying that the village is getting louder is really, really important to note because... Uh, a lot of us are not even aware about the changes that are happening in our environment daily, you know. Uh, Sometimes I walk around my neighborhood, whether it's here in Seattle or back home in uh, Kisumu, Kenya, and I realize that there's a big building that has just, uh, you know, has just uh, taken taken a big part of a space that I, I used to see trees, I used to I used to see birds, I used to see... Uh, you know, different, different aspects of nature existing in this space that has now been taken by maybe an office building, maybe an apartment. Uh, and I wonder when did this, like how fast did they build it? When did they build it? Uh, you know, here in America, at least you have to, you have to consent from, from the community that you live in. You have to notify people so that people can actually accept whatever project that you want to put up in the community uh, but in in kenya or in uganda imagine uh you know as long as you have money you can build anything without asking much permission from anyone of course you know corruption is also rife and you can always bribe your way into doing whatever you want so i just appreciate what you shared with us um again i want to hear your excerpt uh from the book uh, now that you've shared with us a little bit about why this uh, is important to you, just read a little bit of an excerpt of uh, the chapter that you contributed as we continue our conversation today. Um, so I need to ask if I go, if I change my screen a bit, would I still be seen? You will not be seen. You will not be seen. So maybe you just speak to... I suspect that you will not be seen. I don't want to inter in interfere with the, the the way that the show is going on well at the moment. So I would say maybe you just speak to the theme of your entire chapter in general. Is that okay? Okay. Um, so um, let me just, for a line, for my introduction, for example, let me see if I would remember that real quick. Um, again, apologies. For some reason, I thought this was on the 9th October, and it just got me off guard today. Um, so my, my introduction line is um, when I was growing up, um, every dress that I owned had stains. You'd call them badges of honor, you know, child play honor. So it was, um, for me, going back to that, I remember the day I wrote that. I could, um, I could picture my blue dress. It had buttons all the way down, and I liked them because I would pop them. But also down, I would pick it up and spread it. One of the reasons why I liked that dress was because when my brothers climbed up the tree, what do they call jambula? 
Hmm. In the book, it's there. There is a fruit that we had, uh, we have in Uganda. It's called jambula. It's purple. It's all. It looks like grapes of sorts, but it has. Yeah, seeds I know exactly. It. Yeah, we call it jamna, and it yeah. grows on a big, big tree, right? On a tree. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I know exactly, and it stains a lot, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I I know exactly the the fruit you're talking about. We call it jamna. I didn't know you guys call it jambula, but great. Carry on, carry on. I love it. Yeah, so my brothers would go up the tree and shake the branches that had, you know, loads of ripe jambola. You wouldn't pick one at a time. So being the youngest or the littlest in in almost every space my brothers were in, I would just put out my dress and gather as much jambola as possible. That was part of our play. Besides the other play that I described, it was just hunting for fruit, ripe fruit. And... Um, Writing this chapter, I remember after I had told that story, I smiled, but then there was an emptiness that followed that. I haven't seen a tree of jambula, I think, since maybe 20 years ago. For some reason, when we were still little, that tree was cut and um, apartments were put up where that tree was. So in writing this story, I, I, I start from just being the happy child that was playing in these spaces and getting jambula and take people through journeys of what my holiday uh, holidays, school breaks, you'd call them in the, in the US, I guess. We call them holidays here <laughs> in Uganda. Holidays was just about going out, you played, and then you came back with fruit. And every holiday, every school term break, had um, a season. We knew, for example, in the townships where we were, Jambula season was around beginning of the year, for example. But in the village, when we went to the village, it was mango season. And mango season was mid-year. That was the second, what, you, what you'd call summer break, probably, was mango season as well. And still, we would put out our dresses. And whoever is there, whether the mango hit you, whatever hit you, you giggled, you laughed, and you had so much fruit. Sometimes we didn't come out from the bushes for hours because we were just eating fruit and there was so much fruit to go around. So the argument here is, one, I never paid for fruit. I do not remember buying fruit as a child. But now, if you tried to go into a bush to find mangoes and you want to shake fruit, I promise someone will hit you with stones because all the fruits are now finding their way to the roadsides or to the neighboring markets for sale. And so I'm just trying to think about how do I explain this to to my nieces and nephews, for example, when my mom is telling me that it was much better than, you know, I think or I thought it was. And the book is just, it starts from a reminiscence uh, place. We're just going back to spaces of enjoyment. And um, it almost sounds cliche, broken record almost, but that was my lived experience. And um, I genuinely go through the book, wondering, through the chapter, wondering how all that just phased out. And now I am paying for things. And I have my mom at one point asking maize. Maize is corn in the, U in the US. <laughs> maize. And she says, how do I pay for corn? 
you never paid for corn. I don't remember paying for corn. You just went and said your greetings to the neighbors, asked how their day was, and asked to pick some corn. And you were given more corn than you could carry. But now every corn is 500 to 1,000 shillings. So everything has been monetized. The mangoes that you would go and shake, I saw someone selling jambula the other, t- the other time here, and it was about the equivalent of about maybe a dollar fifty cents. And I was thinking, no, that was free. Where did he get that from? So the book is a bit of that until we get into the conversation of what exactly went wrong, the growth of the service sector, population, um, land fragmentation, um, monetization of everything, loss of family values. There's just so much conversation that goes into that chapter. And a bit of economics, because I talk to economists as well to better understand the situation. And um, typical economists, of course, are happy that uh, there is uh, urbanization because they say um, the rural community is mostly redundant and they would rather all that land is commercialized. But are we sure that's all that matters? Because we have, I worry that our elderly growing up, my grandmother, there is a bit of, of that as well, where I remember that my grandmother sat under a tree together with us sometimes where we would share a meal, but she also was the one that took care of the little ones. It was known that when everyone else went off to the garden or went to play, the the little baby that could not join us in the bush remained with uh, your grandmother and we call her Tata. So we knew Tata would be under a tree carrying the little one, but that meant that we also took care of Tata. But now when I went to the, when I got to the village, I noticed my grandmother was alone. My uncles are off to the township. And then families that used to gather, I come from a very big clan. Like my grandfather had 13 wives and 72 children. And it was always some type of crowd over there. But we used to come together to eat, say lunch. And every homestead brought their food to that place. Every household brought their food to the to the large tree we used to gather under and we would all eat. And you were supposed to test everyone's meal. But now everyone has locked their door and they've kept away from everyone. You don't even know what Uncle Uncle Mtoj is eating or what Uncle Mongole is eating or if he has a new wife and what her food tastes like because food costs money. Everything costs money, so everyone is holding on to whatever they can hold on. And then that tree got cut down. So we don't even have a communal space anymore. There is no place for Tata to sit down and carry the children anymore. Um, The land is being sold. Everyone was given a portion of their land. Back then, it was just about, is that garden free? Can we plant our cassava there? It's not happening anymore. So it's those little changes and we're just trying to understand what went wrong or what is changing and is it a good thing yeah that's incredible i love it i love it and uh i can relate to a lot that you're saying you know because i can see these same changes whenever i am back in uh, kisumu kenya 
I see these same changes even in Nairobi. A lot of a lot of Africa, you know, even if you go to Dar es Salaam, you find very very um, many similar changes that do not only impact what we see in terms of the infrastructure, the buildings, but also people's attitudes, you know. Uh, it's definitely an influence from a place like America where uh, to even go and uh, have a meal at your neighbor uh, together with them, you have to really plan it, you know. You have to schedule it, put it on the calendar. Uh, in, in, in Kenya where I was growing up, you know, uh, I would have dinner at our house and if I was not full and I feel like, oh, we just had nyoyo, you know nyoyo, the mixture of maize and beans, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I can smell omena, I can smell fingerlings in the neighbors. I just run out of our house and I go and grab a little and come back with it and share yeah. with my siblings. And the other kids would run back with me and they're like, oh, you guys had nyoyo, we want some. And then they grab some and they run, no permission, you know. Um, but here it's different. It's it's definitely different, and uh, I feel like also when you're sharing about the 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 the, the moments when you you just shake the tree and get free fruits, and how it's so different with uh, now that you're buying fruits. Um, uh, every like everything is for sale, you know. Uh, it's definitely hard to explain to our children. Um, what life was like not so long ago you know this is not even 30 years ago you know uh and so i worry i worry that what would things look like 100 years from today you know uh sure. you know it's it's really a worrying trend and i just thank you for painting the picture uh not just verbally but writing these stories in the book that you have been featured on uh the book is known as uh, remembering the future and if you want to go to the website where the book can be found, it is ugandamemories.com. Uh, you can get a copy of the book on Amazon or Ibua Publishers if you are in Uganda. So, Caroline, as we are wrapping up our show today, can you at least speak to how anyone who would <coughs> like to stay connected with you can uh, do that? And also just share your closing remarks. Thank you so much. Um. Sorry, I also have a cold <coughs> among the many things out here. No problem. I follow me on Twitter at um, Carol Ariba. But if you typed in just my name, you'd find the Twitter address. You'd find the LinkedIn. you find the, the Facebook. And um, send me a DM or um, come to my comment section and um, open for a chat. Also, for those that are looking to buy the book, and can't go to the website and we can make calls for you um for every every time i've posted about the book and someone wants a copy i've gotten them in touch with um, the teams at ibua publishing and also mr christopher conte or to the website or amazon so just type in my name and whatever social media down to TikTok. You, you find me there drop me a dm come to my comments and we can continue the conversation Excellent. Uh, make sure we follow each other on all those platforms, Caroline, that you spoke about, because, uh, you know, this show was live on, on Twitter X. Uh, it was live on LinkedIn, you know, like as we are talking, people are seeing it in these platforms, you know. So 
Uh, if you follow me, you'll be able to share it with your audiences. It's also live on Facebook as we speak, you know. Uh, we are also live on TikTok right now, you know. So um, we are everywhere, you know. <laughs> but I just thank you. I thank you for making time for the show. I thank you for contributing, you know, uh, to the book. And I also thank uh, the editor, Chris Conti, for, uh, you know, working with me to bring uh, the stories of all the incredible authors that contributed to this book uh, to the world through uh, the African Father in America podcast. So, uh, Caroline, take care of yourself. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon over there in Kampala. And for my audience members who took the time to comment, uh, I just want to read one of those comments uh, from Martin Osome in Kenya who says that he's enjoying the show. Thank you, Martin, for your support. Uh, Martin is also one of my team members who make this show possible so i love it when people who are making the show possible are also fans of the show uh again i'm grateful and uh, i will see you all tomorrow same time same place same vibration thank you caroline take care thank you thank you for having me of course Africa, Father, in you are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokello live from Seattle, Washington.